And so it begins. Episode three of our <laughs> alphabetical season. <laughs> We're already on, what is it, E and F. E and F. E and F. We did do I, last week. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. Right, I don't when know you're ABCs. drunk, can you say the alphabet backwards? That's an interesting question because I can't do that sober. I couldn't do it sober. So, like, why do they imagine police officers okay. are thinking way too highly of me? <laughs> no, no, no. I think the thing, I think it's a trick. I think it's to see if you're slurring. You know what I'm oh, saying? Okay. Because I think the more you're trying to like think about something, because if you're thinking about the alphabet backwards, you're not thinking about controlling your speech. Okay. So I think it's to catch you slurring. I could. That's my theory. I could never do it backwards. No, God, no. I think is I don't even no. So it's Z Y X. I know that. W. Who knows? I think. Uh, <laughs> We're doing the alphabet forward yeah. this season on Herstory. On the rocks! With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians in any way. No, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) But we do our best. We do our research. And sometimes our research is wrong. And that's also okay. Because we have a fun time the whole time. We do. And yeah, because we're doing this on the internet, just like everybody else. uh, You know, that's not a real historian. Like we're going on YouTube. We're going on Wikipedia. So who knows what kind of information we're we're, getting. We're finding the sources that you didn't read in your college textbook <laughs> exactly um but also you are busy with modeling clay right now yes you are maybe making some terracotta pots for your spring garden or for like your mother's day gift that's yes. this weekend oh my gosh you're busy you have clay all over your hands so when you're listening to this and you want to know what these women look like you know you don't want to look at your phone because you have clay all over your hands so <laughs> we're going to describe what these women look like we're going to get a little bit Physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing the first fictional woman of the season, (laughs) Miss Elizabeth Bennett. Mm. So other than describing Elizabeth as the second prettiest Bennett sister, (laughs) next to Jane, of course, there's not a great deal of description of her like physical appearance in the book. It's mostly Uh just like she's kind of cute. Once Mr. Darcy starts to kind of like her, you kind of go into his head a little bit or like what he says about her. And he says she has fine, dark eyes. Her figure lacks perfect symmetry, but is still light and pleasing. Hmm. She is like short, like shorter than some of her sisters. Um, uh, She tans in the sun and is an avid walker. So Hmm. she's like not big on covering herself up. And of course, we know her as the most famous portrayal of her Kira Knightley mm. in 2005's version of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Gorgeous. Who are you doing and what does she look like? Kira Knightley was the girl of our, for me it was college, but your high school years. Oh yeah. I mean, she was in everything and she was at 18 the whole time, which yeah. I can't believe. Yeah. It's I, unbelievable. She was in Star Wars. She was in all the Pirates she of the was in Star Wars? She was Padme Amidala's like twin. She was no. Natalie Portman's switch out. Oh my God. I didn't crazy? even know that. Yeah. I just thought Mal- Natalie Portman played both roles. <laughs> no, also, exciting news, everybody. Natalie Portman is filming a movie at in our Baltimore church. at our childhood church. Guys, she is the bakery around the corner from my house was like, hey guys, the movie crew stuff is here. Natalie Portman is a block away from me. Yeah, and Lupita. Yeah. I just, I can't believe it. In the arms of Maybe Lupita. Maybe I'll run into her. 
Maybe I'll run into her. We were talking about maybe sending down Scotty so that we could then oh. go corral him a- away. <laughs> God, that would be the best. Only like five people listening know what that means, know what that and means. I don't know to explain it because it's terrible. No, it's awful. <laughs> um, so, anyways, speaking of <laughs> stars, I'm doing Fanny Bryce. Woo! <laughs> Fanny was a tall, gawky Jewish woman with short, curly, dark hair, an oval face a wide mouth and doe-like eyes. She looks exactly like Chloe Sevigny to me. Mm. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Um, But yeah, look at a picture of Chloe and look at a picture of Fanny. They look exactly the same. Um, But her features were like almost taffy-like. She had a very comedic face that she could twist and turn in whatever way she could to make people laugh. Um, Sometimes she was dressed to the nines in gorgeous floor-length gowns with sequins on them. But one of her more famous characters had her dressing as a baby girl in a little tiny dress and a bow in her hair and a lolly in her hand. Sounds like she could have been on Mad TV. Yes. (laughs) She would have done well there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that is what Fanny Bryce looked like in the movie portrayal of her. She's obviously played by Barbra Streisand. Um, And the costumes in the movie are not period correct (laughs) they're very flamboyant and out there and colorful and apparently that is how fanny liked to dress like so almost like girl you need to class it up you're a star you are trashy yeah (laughs) wow um so do you want to know what you're about to drink yes i do so i very aptly named this drink ego and bias (laughs) (laughs) and i had to use a thesaurus for that one (laughs) and it is an ounce and a half of gin one ounce of lime juice um and then i didn't have any bitters so i skipped that but you should probably put bitters in it (laughs) and uh half a teaspoon of powdered sugar and then egg white and white cranberry juice. Perfect. It is quite a few ingredients. Yes, I'm excited. Cheers. Mm. I actually like it a lot. Yeah, I like mm. it too. It's just like smooth and limey and yeah. Yeah, and like just sweet enough. Like I thought that the powdered sugar would be like a little cakey, but it's not at all. No, it yeah, it's it really also, I think the when the recipe the recipes I was looking up online that had powdered sugar um, it was like, be very, very light hand. Yeah. <laughs> with the I was like, okay. Um, so tell me, what do you know about Elizabeth Bennett? So I know that she is the star of Pride and Prejudice. I know that she is kind of this like outspoken feminist prototype character. And she and the main guy, Mr. Darcy, have this kind of uh, will they, won't they, because they have some pride and prejudices against each other, or prejudices against each other, because they are prideful, whatever it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you start by thinking he's prideful, and yes. you end by realizing she's prideful. Exactly. There's a lot of feelings going on, <laughs> and a lot of people denying those feelings. Oh, so. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just know that she is like, this really cool feminist character uh, and just a a literary darling. (laughs) She really is. She has been well-loved for over 200 years now. So 200 years. Just amazing that Jane Austen wrote a character that is so relatable (laughs) 200 years ago. And we've done Jane Austen back in season one. Mm -hmm. So if you want to listen to that, it was paired with 
Uh, Professor McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a very good one. Um, it, a really good episode. Yeah. Loved it. And we came to the conclusion that <laughs> J.K. Nervin Rowling McGonagall. used Jane Austen's life, too. She had to have. Yeah, too, too similar. Yeah. Too similar. I know. Okay. So Pride and Prejudice is the home of today's heroine. It's a novel that came out in 1813, and it's a novel of manners, which means that it recreates a social world and makes observations about said world. Oh, okay. The novel was written um, originally under the title First Impressions, which is a very apt title, but I like Pride and Prejudice better. It kind of hides the hides the meaning. Mm-hmm. Um The book is set in rural England at the turn of the 19th century. It did at some point gain some criticism because it doesn't acknowledge anything that's happening in the surrounding world. Like it doesn't talk about like the French Revolution or like, you know, the other wars. So we can assume it's happening in a social bubble that's not penetrated from the outside, which is honestly one of the reasons I think it held on to culture so well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's like you could pick it up and place it in a lot of different places and it would still make sense. Mm -hmm. The story follows the Bennett family, which includes five very different sisters. (laughs) They're living in the Longbourn estate, which is situated near a fictional market village in Hertfordshire, England. Hertfordshire? 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 Hertfordshire. 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 I can't. (laughs) Any of these. Because think about like we say New Hampshire. Uh Uh-huh. But do they say sure or shire at the end of words? I think sure. So Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire, England. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. The book is kind of about the cast of characters that, like, Mm -hmm. she is living around and having to deal with. And the entire focus of the novel is the conundrum that they need to be married. You need to have a prosperous coupling, which we've talked about a lot on this show is Mm -hmm. what a lot of women deal with throughout history and different places, different times, cultures, customs. This is of particular importance to Elizabeth because her sisters and her mother, there's no boys in the family. So her dad's money and property and inheritance when he dies will go to the next male family member and Mm -hmm. all of them will be left with no money. Okay. So they really, really need to get married. Mm -hmm. All of them. (laughs) So let's meet the girls, all five. We'll leave Elizabeth to last. Jane is the oldest Bennett sister and is considered the most beautiful. Um, But not only in the family, just the prettiest girl in town. Mm. It was like, if she's at the party, don't worry about trying to get anybody else to dance with you. Um, But rather than being stuck up because of this, she's super sweet and modest and shy and like wonderfully tempered. And um, she's like Elizabeth's closest confidant. It's like the two older sisters and they're like buddies. And Mm -hmm. then there's the others. Mary's next. She's the middle sister. She's probably considered the most plain based on my reading. She like plays the piano and like reads books, but like is very weird and like (laughs) shy Mm -hmm. and bookish. I don't know. And then the younger two are Kitty and Lida. And Kitty's the fourth daughter, but follows around. Um, sorry, Lydia, like she is her shadow, like Mm -hmm. the youngest daughter, because the youngest daughter who's played by Joanna from Hunger Games. Who? Joanna in the... Oh, you haven't seen Hunger Games 2 uh-uh. or 3? Okay. 
<laughs> Everybody listening, she's played by Joanna from Hunger Games, and it's really fun to see her in this role as like this little stuck up whiny <laughs> like girl. But Lydia and Kitty are kind of like foolish and like. I guess I don't love like when they pick on girls for being like cutesy and girly. Do you know what I mean? Do you think like they're kind of like the Amy's. Yeah, and I also think like you know how like Lavender Brown is kind of treated yeah. in the Harry Potter books as um, lesser than. Yeah, like because she's not smart and like feminist like Hermione mm-hmm. and like has a cause that she's kind of lesser than. But also Lydia's kind of a bitch, so <laughs> <laughs> she's like really terrible as a sister. This leads us to their mom and dad, Mr. Bennett, super logical, super dry and sarcastic. He's the patriarch. He's a landowner. Can't give anything to his daughters. But of course, who's his favorite? <laughs> Joe. Elizabeth. Joe. I was going to say Joe. Joe. <laughs> Joe <laughs> March. Joe March is his favorite. Um, no, yeah. It, it's a true story. Like we've said that. How many podcasts have we said that in? So many. The, the dad's favorite. Yep. Yep. And also like cool understanding dads are usually like the heroes of a lot of these women's stories that are there's always a line in these types of women's stories where it's like and the father let them into his library and let them pick any book they wanted (laughs) exactly (laughs) but i also think like it's something about an outspoken woman that makes a father kind of proud proud and treat Mm -hmm. her like a son i know that sounds terrible but it's like no i think that you're interesting. Like you're not following the get me jewelry and marry me off vibe. Mm -hmm. Now that could be to the chagrin of a lot of fathers as well. Yeah. But I mean, also I think in his case too, it's like nice and like this household full of people that maybe he doesn't feel connected to. Like he's like, I'm the only guy here. Like on the whole whole (laughs) manner. And you know, maybe he is just also thankful that like, he feels like he can talk to Joe right. more than the other sisters. Elizabeth. And even his wife. Damn it. <laughs> but it's, I mean, they're very similar <laughs> characters. I was thinking it the whole time I was doing the research. I'm like, yeah. this is like a Joe March type character. Yeah. It's all girls, you know. Which the- is funny because she came before Joe. Yeah. So like Joe is an Elizabeth Bennett type character. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it, I mean, it says in the book that Elizabeth is most well liked by her father and least well liked by her mother which is something that i understand in a deep deep way yeah. <laughs> um, not that my mother like doesn't like me but i'm definitely her least favorite because i buck against anything that she wants me to do and i'm my father's favorite by far of all of our siblings <laughs> so it was really funny when i read that line um because i was like oh i know what that's like the mom, though, nothing like my mom. This mom is like a middle-aged wife that married up a social class. She's like a hypochondri- a hypochondriac. I hate this mom in the book and in the 2005 movie. It's like she just has no couth. Mm. It, like she's not classy at all. Like when she goes to these big parties you can like tell she's like overstepping class boundaries yeah and most of the time in the book elizabeth's just embarrassed of her which is kind of like i don't know the mom doesn't even get a name in the book i don't think (laughs) i don't think we know her first name i think she's just mrs bennett oh yeah that's kind of lame but elizabeth is the focus of this book and as you said she is like 
a very early prototype of like a feminist heroine. She's the second oldest. She's 20 years old while the novel's taking place. She's not as pretty as her older sister, but everybody in town likes her. Mm -hmm. She's cute. She's charming. She's intellectual and high spirited and independent. She's tenacious and witty without being offensive, which is very hard to do. She's also depicted as being personally proud of her wit and her accuracy at judging other people's social goals. Like she can meet someone and be like, I know exactly what they're going for and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. So I want us like this whole book is about her love story. So I'm going to go through like a summary of what happens, but I wanted to give you all the family members first because during the story, we're going to meet a lot of boys. And I just think that the entire time, Elizabeth is not necessarily interested in getting married, but she's not not interested in getting married. Yeah. Which is what makes her a like intriguing character. It's that she's not going against all of the tradition. She's just not going to settle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the novel opens with one of the most famous lines in English literature, which is, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. (laughs) Now we think that that is coming from the mom's point of view because you like right away are in this house. Everybody's like super excited that this young, hot, rich bachelor is coming to town and everybody is excited about it. His name is Mr. Bingley. And they're all like, okay, dad, go to his house and invite him over for dinner. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That looks really needy. And they're like, go to his house and invite him over for dinner. No, that looks really needy. And of course, this is the mom and the youngest daughters, like trying to push him to invite him over again, like doing it with no cooth. Right. He's like, Girls, you got to play the game. <laughs> play the ga- <laughs> I've been courted before. I know yeah. if you want skin in the game, you got to play in the game. <laughs> but our first big event that occurs because Mr. Bingley is coming into town is they're going to have a ball where mm. like everybody in town goes to. And if you've ever seen an episode of Bridgerton, <laughs> you really understand that these balls are a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like you carry the little thing on your wrist, which I didn't realize that like people have the sign when you dance with them yeah because i had to do it for meet me in st louis right <laughs> that was right. like a big part of the storyline ding, ding, ding goes the trolley. i know <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i had like a little card and yeah like people would sign up to dance with you and it was a very big deal right especially if somebody dances with you more than once <laughs> he sold so, up her calling card <laughs> bingley is just the sweetest (laughs) i love him in the stories in the movies in the plays he is friendly and cheerful and well-mannered and doesn't look down his nose at people that have less than him which Mm -hmm. is one of the best things about mr bingley um during the ball he appears to be attracted to elizabeth's older sister jane which duh because she's the hottest girl in town and he dances with her not once but twice and elizabeth is just so excited for her sister i love that yeah because also like girls usually in families like that would try to get married in order Mm -hmm. so it's like if your older sister gets married that like frees you up to be next in line Mm -hmm. um but mr Bingley to the dance brought his two sisters and 
Mr. Darcy. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Darcy comes with him. Mr. Darcy is twice as wealthy as Ooh. Bingley, but he is haughty and aloof and appears to think he is too good <laughs> for anybody at this dance. How long has it been since you've read Pride and Prejudice? A long time. <laughs> okay. Have you seen the movie recently? No. Okay, perfect. So Austin shows that they're intrigued by each other. Like mm-hmm. Darcy and Elizabeth, like make this eye contact. It is what it is. Um, but he refuses to dance with her saying that like, she's not even pretty, pretty enough for him to be tempted by such a lowly creature. <laughs> now the way it's portrayed in the movie is he says that about everybody there, yeah. like all these people. Mm-hmm. And like, she overhears it. In, like, the book, it kind of seems like he says it to her, which Uh I it doesn't fit Mr. Darcy, I think, in that way. I think he's just trying to brush it off. Like, I don't want to dance with anybody here. I'm too rich. Elizabeth finds this hysterical and, like, jokes about it with her friends and, like, what a douchebag he is. (laughs) Like, she... I, I that's the first moment you fall in love with her in the book when she's not personally offended by it, but rather finds this man to be a joke. Yeah. I love that. It's so empowering because i think that the trend for so long was like he said something mean so like you should crumble (laughs) yeah she's like no i just think it's really fucking funny because he thinks it's gonna hurt my feelings but it doesn't right i love that it's a it's a very empowering thing for anyone to do frankly yeah and i mean it's empowering too because she really needs to marry a man with money yeah and she's like very willing to walk away from it where a lot of girls would bat their eyelashes and a lot of people in general would bat their eyelashes and be like, how can I get in good with you? Yeah. So then Jane gets invited after this dance to Mr. Bingley's estate where he's staying in town while he's in town. She's like, this is great. I can go. We can spend time together. But she goes and on her way gets caught in the rain and comes down with like a serious cold i don't know she gets a cold but then they have to like put her in bed in bingley's mansion and then they send a letter home that's like you need to send somebody to go care for her so they send elizabeth (laughs) bennett to go take care of her sick older sister so now she's in this house with cute adorable mr bingley who's got the hots for her sister Rich dickhead Mr. Darcy (laughs) and Bingley's two sisters who have the hots for Mr. Darcy. Oh, okay. I didn't remember that. Uh They're also trying to get with Darcy. Yeah, they're trying to vibe for him. So now we've got like Elizabeth who has to like go upstairs and care for her sister who she loves. And she wants to do that for her. Mm -hmm. But then also has to like come downstairs every evening and have like social dinners with these people who like are so condescending to her. Well, and also do you feel like we can draw a direct parallel to like the two girls who are trying to get Mr. Darcy's attention and the three blonde triplets from Beauty and the Beast? (laughs) (laughs) Cause I feel like in a lot of these books, when you have a feminist heroine, unfortunately you also kind of have to drag other women down alongside her which like i wish didn't have to happen yeah but like you know i always feel like there's it's gilmore girls girls did it all All the time time you know what's funny (laughs) it's kind of like the opposite thing happens with guys you have Mm -hmm. this like really hot hero but then like 
he gets drugged down by like the real hero. Yeah. So it's almost like you're a douchebag. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I see. Yeah. I wanted the pulper, not the prince. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It is. These sisters are like kind of the type of people who Mr. Darcy's supposed to be interested in. And that's why he's not interested. Yeah. Which is because there fun. has to be someone to contrast against Elizabeth. Exactly. So while she's there, they're having these dinners every night and she's really witty and she's just good at like when people will be like, and how old are you? And you're not married and this, that, and the other, they're asking all these like really social questions. She is great at kind of like fighting back towards that. But Darcy is getting slowly and slowly more interested in her, but bitch can hold a grudge. (laughs) She like doesn't even make eye contact with him like this whole time can you imagine going to be like i'm gonna come over your house oh psych i'm staying for two weeks can you believe that in this time yes that's terrible in my own life no i would hate i'm just that. coming in for a visit i'm in from out of town <laughs> for a month that's terrible i've never in my life thought about that until like you start to read books like this and you're like oh when somebody's coming into town they're like really in town yeah like forever God, there's like that famous quote from like oscar wilde or something or someone famous and they're like it's like you know house guests are like fish they start to stink after like two weeks honestly <laughs> get out um, Okay, so the next big thing that happens, sisters are home, Jane is well, bright-eyed and happy because Bingley is so happy that she is now feeling better, but Mr. Collins comes into the picture. He is their closest male family member and supposed to be the one that gets the money. Ooh. So... He comes over. He's like a clergyman for Lady Catherine, who's like the big boss of their region. Mm -hmm. He's annoying and pompous and awkward and terrible and not cute and not rich and altogether gross. I hate Mr. Collins. But Miss Bennett is like one of us. One of us girls has to marry him because he's getting the fortune when dad dies. Oh, God. So like somebody's got to marry him so that we can keep the money in the family. Ugh. I hate that. Yeah. So he comes over for dinner. Obviously, he's like, Jane's the hottest. I'd like Jane. But then Miss Bennett, Mrs. Bennett is like, no, well, she's practically engaged to Mr. Bingley. Yeah. Which she's not. Yeah, <laughs> but not she practically is. So Elizabeth's next in line. Elizabeth's like, you've got to be kidding me. Because she, in the meantime, met this charming young soldier, Mr. Wickman. Jo- Elizabeth did? Yeah. So now we have Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. Mr. Collins and Mr. Wickman. And when you're in the book, these three boys are kind of interchangeable. But just remember, Mr. Darcy, big, rich, seems like a dickhead. Uh Mr. Collins. Creepy cousin. Creepy cousin clergyman. (laughs) Mr. Wickman, really cute, soldier, seems like he should be on a college sports team, which is a red flag. (laughs) Yeah, he sounds like a lacrosse bro to me. He is a... Right. That's exactly right. So, Mr. Wickman. Your sport and war should be obsolete. I'm just kidding. I love lacrosse. I know. I know. But it's just the best way to describe it. Like, a frat boy that looks like they have everything going for them, but is, like, actually a douche. Yeah. Yeah. I've used the word douchebag a lot this episode. <laughs> I think I'm proud of it. I'm, go- I'm going to Because we have a lot more men than normal in this There's so story. many men in the story. I was like, why am I writing so many narratives about men? Okay. 
Um, Wickman is cute and everything that Mr. Collins isn't. So of course she's like, I need to like jump into this relationship like right. really quick because otherwise my mom's going to marry me off like a now. Mm-hmm. They definitely have a mutual attraction. And then she's like hanging with him and they talk about the fact that she met Darcy and he's like, oh yeah. I know Darcy like I'm partially related to him and like his dad promised me all this money when he died but Mr. Darcy cut me out of the inheritance (gasps) and Elizabeth is like damn I fucking knew I hated him I knew it I knew it so what happens next another ball (laughs) we're gonna have another one but this time Elizabeth does dance with Mr. Darcy Mm. at his request Signed that card. Signed that card. Like I signed up. up <laughs> Ink's on your hand. You got to dance with me. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing that's weird. Like, well, actually, before we get into that, here's the thing that's beautiful. In the movie, they start dancing and everyone else in the room disappears. So it's like supposed to symbolize their like immense like attention connection. and connection mm-hmm. to one another. Um, even though she's like, I will never fucking dance with this guy. I mm-hmm. hate him. Then he comes asks her and James like, sure, you'll never dance with him. As soon as he asks you, like go in and do it. <laughs> um, so, uh, but there's a lot of public embarrassment at this party because miss Bennett is going around telling everybody that Bingley and Jane are engaged like all oh, over this party. No. And the two younger sisters are acting like spoiled brats. And it's just like this whole <sighs> big thing that's so embarrassing it is embarrassing and then like elizabeth's embarrassed and jane's embarrassed and everybody in the party is like looking down on them like they're the poor people who like were allowed to come there's a lot of social class discussion in this book which i don't know some of it is like you should be ashamed of your mom because she's poor like she never gets her like redemption arc right which is sad oh that is sad so to everyone's dismay They come to find out after this ball that Mr. Collins is going to come to their house. And he comes, goes into the study with her father, comes back out of the study with her father, and asks to speak to Elizabeth alone. He proposes in a not loving way, just like a give me your money bitch way. Uh, And she says no. At 20 years old, which is not a safe thing to do. Um, Her mom is totally pissed off. And Elizabeth goes in to, like, apologize to her dad. And he's like, I would have been pissed if you married that guy. Like, thank you for not (laughs) marrying that guy. But then he goes and proposes to her friend. Not the next Bennett girl. Just, like, a friend from town named Charlotte. And Elizabeth is super disappointed in Charlotte. And she's, like, they have this really cool, inform- like, conversation, which I kind of see, like, the Amy March conversation, where yeah. she's, like, I'm old. I'm 27, her yeah. friend. I'm not cute. How dare you tell me not to marry this guy? Like, this is for safety and security only. Yeah. Like, don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So they're all waiting on Mr. Bingley to propose. Everybody's ready for him to come over. It's going to be great. And he leaves town <gasps> abruptly. No. Never to come back. God, no, I don't remember this at all. Nobody knows why. <laughs> why did Mr. Bingley leave? What's happening? And everybody's like, this is what happened at the ball because you embarrassed us so much and this, that, and the other. And I mean, Jane is so heartbroken. She goes to stay with her aunt and uncle to make her feel better. And Elizabeth is like, all right, whatever. This sucks, but I'm my sister's gone, so I'm not staying in this house with my mom and younger sisters. I'm going to go visit my friend Charlotte, who just married Mr. Collins. We're going to hang out. She goes over, but he's the clergyman for Lady Catherine. So, 
She's like, okay, I'll go to the dinner at the la- Lady Catherine's house. It'll be fun. Big fancy dinner. Guess who's there? Oh, my God. Mr. Darcy. At this dinner, Elizabeth's dislike for Mr. Darcy mounts. First off, she finds out that he's Lady Catherine's nephew. So he's not just, like, rich. He's, like, a fucking duke or something. He's, like, super rich and noble, and he has not been saying that. But he also finds out that Mr. Darcy is the reason that Bingley left. Like... This is not boding well for him. Somebody (laughs) made a comment that, like, he saved his friend from an unfruitful marriage. No, 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 no. Yeah. That... Pretty much Darcy was like, Bingley, you need to leave because that girl only wants you for your money and she's not into you. That's horrible. About her older sister. And she's sitting there like, oh, my God, I hate this guy. So, uh, like, they're just everybody at the table is being condescending to her. They'll like they'll be like, do you play the piano? And she'll be like, yeah, kind of like, do you do art? She's like. Uh, not really they're like asking her all the formal female questions and then they're like play something for us and like make her do this thing that she's like not great at just kind of like to embarrass her which is terrible but in the meantime darcy is like so obsessed with (laughs) elizabeth bennett like the more he's around her and she talks back to his aunt and like all these people he's like yes she's perfect so while she's there Darcy professes his love to her. He's like, you're smart. You're amazing. You enthrall me. I'm obsessed with you. You're like the wittiest girl I know. And she's like, I will never fucking marry you. He proposes. And she's like, no, you're stuck up. You shame me and my family. You ruined my sister's life. And you took Mr. Wickman's inheritance. Like, how dare you? And he's like, is that what you think of me? And then just like walks away. (gasps) So the problem then (laughs) becomes there's like a lot of things going on all at once. He like leaves and goes back to London. She's kind of there and leaves her this like novel long letter that explains everything he's ever done wrong. So he explains to her that like he really thought because Jane was so shy that she wasn't into Bingley oh. and he was just trying to like help out his friends like don't waste any more time on this girl she doesn't like you and then he explains that Mr. Wickman is a huge gambler <gasps> and tried to marry his 14 year old sister for oh. his money and then gambled oh. all of his inheritance away so he wouldn't give him any more. Oh, shit. And, like, he's already gone, and now she's like, oh, my God, I made all these terrible accusations Mm -hmm. to this rich man who likes me, (laughs) and he's not actually a bad guy. He's been a good guy, like, all along. So she's like, holy shit. So then she's super depressed. So she goes to hang out with her aunt and uncle, because apparently that's what you do when you're super depressed. And they take her throughout London, and while they're going throughout London, she... Her aunt and uncle are like, oh, let's go visit this manor. And she's like, that's the Darcy Manor. But it's like a house you go on tours of. And she's so embarrassed about turning down the proposal and all the mean things that she said. But he's supposed to be out of town. So she's like, okay, I'll just go. But she gets there and he is there. And she sees him like interacting with his little sister. And it's just like so sweet and beautiful. And they're like playing and having a great time. And she's realizing, oh, He's not prideful. He's socially awkward. He didn't want to dance 
because he was like scared to dance at this party. He's not outgoing like Mr. Bingley. He's just like scared. Yeah. Which like I can totally understand being like a child in one of those huge manners, like not understanding how to talk to people or like yeah. even just being an introvert. Mm -hmm. So they're talking. They're starting to like get to know each other better. But then Elizabeth has to like take off. She's at this manor, like talking to him with her aunt and uncle. And she gets a letter that Mr. Wickman ran away with her sister, <gasps> Lida, her youngest sister, which is going to not end in marriage and ruin the prospects for all of the girls. Oh, no. Yeah. He's pretty much making a scandal of the entire Bennett family because Elizabeth wouldn't run away with him. He just picked the next girl, which the goofy girl is Lida. Oh, Lydia. I keep calling her Lida. It's Lydia. Okay. Now, this is behind the scenes. We don't find this out later. So she runs from Darcy's house. Like, I've got to get back to my family as soon as possible. Um, and Darcy doesn't want Elizabeth to know this, but he contacts Wickman, convinces him to marry Lydia, oh. and pays him a ton of money to do it so that the Bennett family won't be shamed. Then he goes to Bingley, and he's like, give Jane another chance. She did like you. Go back. Elizabeth, of course, finds out about all this, that he fixed all the problems and realizes that he didn't do it for her family, but he did it for her. <laughs> um, so the boys come back into town. Bingley proposes to Jane, but then Lady Catherine visits in the middle of the night and is like, Darcy's going to marry the girl I want him to marry, not this poor peasant girl. Like, she's in their house oh acting like it's a hovel in the middle of the night. And she says, promise me that you will not have any relationship with him. And Elizabeth goes, I would never promise you that. Because she's like, doesn't think Darcy will ever propose again. But right. she's like, that's a silly thing to promise. But then Darcy hears that she makes that promise, <laughs> goes and finds her, proposes again. <gasps> she accepts. And now she's the most well-married Bennett sister. Yay. <laughs> well, <laughs> they live happily ever after, at least Jane and Elizabeth. I'm sure Mr. Wickman did terrible, terrible things to Lydia. And I'm yeah. very sorry about that. But in um, the end of the novel, you know, she is now you know, betrothed to Mr. Darcy. The movie has two separate endings because one ending like showed better in the U S and one ending showed better in like really? Britain. But ours is them like at his manor and like they're he's just kind of like dressed in casual clothes instead of like fancy <laughs> Mr. Darcy clothes. And they're like kissing on a roof and it's like really sweet. The British one is like more traditional. It's very like we kissed and we're done. <laughs> but apparently it played better in Britain and the U S people were like, we want a smooch, you know, <laughs> like we want something good. But anyway, um, on January, now outside of the novel, talking about, that's the summary, talking about Jane Austen and this character in general, January 29th, 1813, Jane wrote to her friend, I must confess that I think her as delightful a creature as ever appeared in print. Oh. She just loved Elizabeth <laughs> so, so much. And there are a lot of reasons for this. The reasons she's so amazing are, one, she's super confident in herself and her own decisions. Mm -hmm. Two, she is fiercely loyal to her family even Lydia who she like hates for running off and getting married yeah. she like runs home at the drop of a hat yeah. she refuses to let men intimidate her mm -hmm. she like calls them out on their bullshit publicly like mm -hmm. when somebody says something to her she talks back she challenges others with wit rather than anger and she would absolutely sacrifice the stability of money for the love of marriage mm -hmm. she is timeless um 
but mostly we love her and she's just deeply encouraging to like the fact that you can be an independent spirit as a woman. Mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice has consistently appeared on the top of the most loved books among literary scholars and the public, which is rare that like mm. both people like the Academy yeah. and the People's Choice Award. <laughs> but there have been you know, portrayals, movies, stage performances, adaptations that are ongoing and forever. Bridget Jones's Diary is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. The, Lil- the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is an American woman posting video blogs. That's a retelling. There's a Bollywood adaptation called Bride and Prejudice. Um, there's also a novel called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> Which I must read. (laughs) Um, But most notably, as we said, Kira Knightley received an Academy Award nomination for her portrayal of Mm. Elizabeth Bennet. And it is considered one of the most popular novels in English literature with over 20 million copies sold. For more than 200 years, adaptations of the feisty Elizabeth Bennet has been held as one of our most loved, well-liked, and level-headed heroines in modern history. Mm. Love it. I love it. And there's like no sequels to the book. So it's like the only story we have is literally the plot. Yeah. It's the plot summary. That is her story. We have one year in her life. That's all we get. But I kind of love that. And I think it's very British. Mm -hmm. Like the British do not like to drag things out. Like, oh, yeah. (laughs) It's like their TV shows, like, except for, you know, obviously certain ones like Doctor Who, whatever, that go on Mm -hmm. forever. But, um, but you know, like a lot of their TV series go like, one two maybe three seasons and like that's it Mm -hmm. um you know and i think people like stephen merchant described it recently he was like yeah people like to go in like tell the story and like make the money and like get out you know he's like why drag it on you Mm -hmm. know um but But i i just think she's so interesting that we only get that one year and we it's like a a transformative year you know she's 20 yeah she's getting engaged her family's in turmoil yeah like it's fun to watch yeah there's also another really great adaptation called austin land have you ever seen this movie no i haven't so it's carrie russell and she plays this american woman who is obsessed with jane austen like obsessed and she pays for this all like inclusive Jane Austen experience where like, like Westworld <laughs> yeah and like you go and like you live at this British castle for like a week and like they have actors who do a romance with you like a Jane Austen movie <laughs> and like okay let me tell you it is such a good movie <laughs> I loved it and like the way that there's like a fake Mr. Darcy happening with her and then also a real one happening at the same time. It's perfect. That sounds Ah, great. It's great. And Jennifer Coolidge is in it and (laughs) she's perfect. Yeah. I I mean, I struggled like with how to tell this story because there's so little about Elizabeth. Yeah. It's like, she doesn't have like, there aren't childhood flashbacks. No, there aren't like flash forwards into the future. It's, this is all we know. Yeah. And, and maybe that's good. Maybe that's why we like her so much because we can all be like, we don't know what she did before or after. After, but this seems good. Yeah. <laughs> this seems right, Elizabeth. Good job. Oh, perfect. Well, Are you ready great. for another drink? I'm ready. Yay. Let's do it. <laughs> back with part two we have a pink blended cocktail <laughs> i just with this whole half want to be like oh f 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really excited for the second half. Fanny Bryce is wild. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to get into it. Do you want to know what you're about to drink? I sure do. This is called Don't Rain on My Paloma. Uh, <laughs> so it's based on a Paloma cocktail, which is tequila and grapefruit juice. So it is tequila, grapefruit juice, and then I put Aperol and lime juice and pineapple juice in it. And I blended it with ice and then topped it off with champagne because Fanny is extra and so is this cocktail. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Oh, it's so good. Mm. I really like it. Mm -hmm. I love a grapefruit vibe. (sighs) Grapefruit is so good. It is. (laughs) It is. I wish I would have liked it earlier in my life. (laughs) I've always been a big grapefruit fan. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I would like love to just get whole grapefruits and eat them. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) I didn't know what a grapefruit was for for, like a long time. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't buy a lot of fruit. Or maybe I just didn't pay attention to it. I don't know. I was into the sour ones. I liked grapefruit and plums. Oh, that's cute. And lemons. I did also like to eat lemons. Well, that's a Baltimore (laughs) thing. We all love the lemon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, So what do you know about Fanny Bryce? Not a lot. I feel like she's early 1900s vibes. Like, but then I, like, I questioned myself because I feel like she was alive for quite a bit of time. Like, she wasn't super old, but... Anyway, early 1900s, pre-1950s. I think she was an actress. I think she was on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, she, it sounded to me like she had some sort of comedic background a mm-hmm. little bit from your description earlier, and maybe she could sing. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I know. All right, perfect. Well, I'm excited to get into it because I did not know until like two weeks ago that Fanny Bryce was a real person Oh, <laughs> because she's the main character in the Barbara Streisand musical Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. And I always just thought that that was just kind of like tale as old as time of mm-hmm. show business and whatever. But like, I didn't know that she was a real person. Second Beauty and the Beast reference. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to bring you this story. So I got most of this from Stuff You Missed in History class and then... Uh, there was a YouTube video all about um, the history of Funny Girl and the musical, um, and I so got a lot from that, and Wikipedia, obviously. Um, and again, whenever we're dealing with like an old-timey show business person, it kind of feels a little bit jumpy. So, you know, just bear with me, because like, she moves around quite a lot to different mm-hmm. productions and whatnot. <laughs> okay. Fania Borach was born on Fania. Fania, mm-hmm, wow. was born on October 29th, 1891, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, in New York, to parents Rose and Charles Borach. Her mother was a Jewish immigrant from Hungary who had come over in 1877 when she was just 10 years old, and her father had moved in the 1880s from Alsace, which is that kind of area between France and Germany, a very interesting part of the world. Yeah. Um, she was the third of four children, and when the children were all still pretty young, they moved the family to Newark, New Jersey, to open up a candy slash stationery store. <laughs> Give me some more of it. Which I love that, like, that's a store that just sells candy and stationery. It kind of seems like a CVS to me, like, <laughs> yeah, without the medicine. Walgreens. <laughs> um, so, and I want to clarify, Rose opened up the store. Uh, she ran the business, and her husband ran an illegal gambling game in the back of the shop. Oh, good. <laughs> 
But after two years of doing it, it wasn't quite bringing enough bringing in enough cash. Um, so they ditched the candy game and opened up a saloon. They're like, beer is more uh, making more money than yeah. candy. <laughs> um, and again, I'm saying they, but Rose opened up the saloon. Good. Uh, Charles struggled with alcoholism, so he really didn't work. And anything that he was doing was kind of, like, <laughs> shady and, like, not really helpful to Rose. Um, but thanks to Rose, the family enjoyed – enjoyed – yeah, that's the right word. <laughs> Katie. <laughs> it's not even that late at night. I thought that I was saying it with like a Brooklyn accent. Like, yeah, they enjoyed it. <laughs> I was like, but yeah, that's just how it's pronounced. My God. <laughs> Maybe this time. I'm we got a Kit Kat club it. I'm not you're, doing it. Okay. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Enjoyed it. They enjoyed a comfortable middle class lifestyle. So while Fanny grew up, um, you know, not in a very poor household, like fairly stable, um, it of course did not stop her from getting into trouble. Like many young girls, Fanny liked to shoplift. Uh, she stole from her mother. She stole from her friends' parents, and she stole from local stores. Do you ever steal? No, God, no. Actually, I just was talking to my friend last night about this. I was so afraid of it. I, I stole keychains from Spencer's. <laughs> I feel like Spencer's must have just like put it into their budget that kids were stealing from their store. The keychains would be like hot bitch. (laughs) (laughs) They would be like $15 and I would only take like 20 total dollars to the mall. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. But yeah, so she was like originating like the cool girl shoplifting trend. (laughs) No, it's terrible. Don't steal. Please don't. Um, so when she wasn't stealing, um, she was working. She started her own little businesses, such as like classic lemonade stands. She would so she would sell sewing lessons to friends. Like Fanny, from a young age, was like kind of obsessed with making money. Oh, pyramid scheming it up. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like just every time she got an opportunity, like the family went to visit her dad's family over in France one time, and they were on like kind of like the middle to lower class portion of the boat. Mm-hmm. And she goes, "If I just sneak up to the upper portion and put on a sad face, like people will give me money." She's like, like panhandling all yes, the boat. on Good the boat. <laughs> She's the girl on Facebook that messages you that you haven't seen since high school. That's like. Like, hey, haven't heard from you. Yeah. And you're like, she's about to <laughs> fucking make me buy some Joe Corby's or some shit. <laughs> Do you remember when we sold Joe Corby's? Crazy, right? Do you want to experience that again <laughs> through the magic of my child? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Which actually, yes. I do. If I anyone's do. child is selling Joe Corby's, please let me know. Right. I would love to buy some Joe pieces. Corby's and Girl Scout cookies, we will never turn away. We never don't turn away. want your pyramid schemes. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't just strangers she was performing for. She loved to get up on the bar in the family saloon and she would sing and dance and her father would throw nickels at her. <laughs> I feel like that could get like, you in the eye. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely didn't have dollars. <laughs> he was not making enough money. Oh. Um, so he would throw nickels at her. He thought it was so funny and cute. And her mom was like, I hate this. Get off the bar. Uh, and she would also put on shows for her schoolmates she would charge them a penny 
or a piece of fruit, whatever they had, <laughs> um, just to watch her perform these like very like dramatic scenes from things. I don't know. She was just like in her family's basement being dramatic. She's like she doing like, Shakespeare. <laughs> I don't even think that. He was like, ah, oh, my twin sister is dating my husband. <laughs> She's doing TikTok videos. Exactly. Okay. Um, and then she was like, all right, this stuff is cute, but I need to get a job. So when she's 10, she gets a job in a department store as a gift wrapper. But that didn't last long because she was also running a scam at work. <laughs> she told her coworkers that she was like this destitute young girl that like she's like my mother is dead and my father is a blind man and we don't have any money oh she's the liar yes <laughs> yes she is oh my God. because this of course is not true and when the manager found out that she was lying because her co-workers set up a fundraiser for her a GoFundMe. <laughs> she got a GoFundMe. <laughs> she, they held a clothing drive they're like guys we gotta patch together and help this little girl out that is terrible that's terrible so the boss found out he's like that's not true your mother came in she's a regular customer at this store <laughs> and of course her mom was upset because she was like yeah i go in there all the fucking time now i can't go in there anymore like you asshole <laughs> Oh my God. That's how I feel about so many places, but it's usually my fault. <laughs> I'm talking in the mirror. I'm like, oh Allie, you go there all the time. Now you can't go anymore. You asshole. <laughs> Why did you act like that? <laughs> every day that, God. well, every weekend that happened. Just imagining you throwing up behind Decline Duval. <laughs> By the that was fun. That was like two and a half years ago. I know. Listen, <laughs> not that recent. I haven't gotten my shit together. <laughs> One of my favorite things about my best friend is she will hold open a pretend bag and be like, get all your shit together and please put it in this bag. There you go. Please. There you go. You trash. <laughs> so her next job was working as a page in a dress shop. So she would run errands for the shopkeeper and it actually seemed to suit her. Um, but the problem was she loved making money so much that she just stopped going to school. <laughs> and at some point she's making so much money that she was like, yeah, why would I go back? And eventually she was four years behind her classmates. She just like quit going to school. Yeah. She just like quit. Um, oh, because of this dress job. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so she was like, I'm making money. Why? Like, what else am I like a young girl going to school for? She's like, it's not like I'm going to for finance. No, you know? and women like, are going to like get jobs after college anyway. Right, or exactly. like after high school even. So what the hell? Who cares? So the furthest she got, people think, was like an eighth grade education. Okay. Um. So when Fanny was 11, her parents did split up. Uh, Rose took the kids, left the bar business behind, and moved to Brooklyn to become a realtor. <laughs> like... <laughs> Her mom is crushing it. <laughs> Charles visited the kids every once in a while, but he ends up just kind of fading away. Um, and when Fanny was about 14 years old, she decided to attend an amateur night at a local vaudeville theater. She's like, you know what? I've been thinking about this for a bit. I'm going to do it. And well, so the story goes, <laughs> mm-hmm. so the story goes, she was just going to watch the show, but she and her friend didn't have any money. So they lied and said that they were performing so they could sneak in through the back door. They're like, we'll go into the stage door and just kind of hang out out back and watch the show from there. But then the stage manager was like, all right, you're up next and pushed her out onto the stage. 
she is nervous, she's scared, and she is about to cry uh, when she sees some of her friends in the crowd, her school friends, who I guess she didn't really see very often, <laughs> and they're cheering her on. And she's like, all right, strike up the band. And she asked the orchestra to play a song she knew. And she's like singing it. And then she's kind of adding some little jokes in and she's just like hamming it up. And the crowd is cheering. They're throwing money onto the stage. (laughs) When she is done, she made about $4 in tips. And she also received the amateur night prize, which was $10. Whoa. Do you want to know how much that is in today's money? I'm really curious, actually. $479 in today's money. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Even even in this economy? In this economy. (laughs) And to a girl like Fanny, the idea that you could make that much money just by going up on a stage and singing a song was insane. So, of course, she was like, I got to do that more. (laughs) She went to any amateur night she could, and she won a majority of them, eventually crafting an entire act filled with songs and comedy bits. So just on these amateur nights, when she is 14, she's making $30 a week. And she gives most of it to her mother because she has, you know, these three other siblings that, you know, don't have a dad and, like, need assistance. Um But Fanny doesn't want to be an amateur forever. So she and her whole family uh, pack up and move to Manhattan. And once she was there, she really started to hustle. She is doing any kind of show she can. She's hanging out at places where performers and agents are. And she's just talking to anyone who could hire her for anything. Like she's just trying to network. Um, So she starts getting bit parts and plays at the West End Theater One of her early parts was in a play called The Millionaire's Revenge, and she played, like, this model whose big scene is popping out of a pie. (laughs) But then one day, the pie tipped over, and there were light bulbs inside, and they, like, smashed all over her, and so she stopped doing that play. Sounds Um, terrible. But then she got another job in a chorus line. But she was not a very good dancer, <laughs> so she was fired from that. Mm-hmm. And she was really embarrassed because she was like, I don't, I'm good at singing. You know, I should be good at dancing. Like, this is so embarrassing. So she told her mom, she goes, they thought my legs were too skinny. And that has actually stayed. It is in the musical that the director's like, your legs are too skinny. But that wasn't really the reason. <laughs> she was just bad at dancing. Nobody's ever told a dancer they're like, no, <laughs> I mean, dancers have so much muscle. It's absurd. These, these days, mm-hmm. <laughs> those thighs are popping. Absolutely. So to supplement her budding acting career, she got a job in a movie house selling tickets, making signs, and she would be the musical accompaniment to silent films, which I love. Like, she would be there playing the piano and stuff because they obviously didn't have sound. <laughs> I didn't know she could play the piano. Yeah, I guess so. Learning all sorts of things in these pages. Good. Um, <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> I can't play the piano. God, no. I can play, like, Baba Black Sheep. I don't even think I could play that. The piano scares me. (laughs) Uh, She also started working in burlesque at this time, which was really just a variety show. Um, 
And I want to make this clear because she was not doing any type of strip teasing. That was not really a part of the burlesque scene yet. Um, it was more like a stepping stone to vaudeville. So burlesque was like baby vaudeville. Okay. <laughs> um, how I understood it. So kind of a variety show, a collection of different things. It's different all the time. But like um, she's already performed on amateur vaudeville, but she wants like a permanent slot? Yeah, she okay. is trying to be a professional paid vaudeville performer with a contract got it because she's like yeah i'm bobbing around doing all these different things but she's like i want to go from being just for hire and doing whatever and doing these random things to having a contract that is going to pay me a salary so i can have financial security so she's tired of being freelance yeah she's like i want a fucking contract right so uh again Fanny's not doing any type of striptease, uh, but she was cast as a chorus girl. And since this is kind of, again, like not as prime time as an official vaudeville stage that's touring or something, um, they didn't mind that she wasn't the best dancer. They're like, yeah, we'll take it. Just, you know, get in the back. <laughs> um, and once they kind of found out that like, they're like, oh, like, yeah, you're not the greatest dancer, but like, you're really fucking funny. And so they started kind of, using her as the punchline they're like we know exactly what to do to you and i don't know if you remember this but this happened to josephine baker josephine baker was also kind of this role of like the chorus girl that is acting out and like not dancing well and kind of misstepping on purpose you know um but fanny like didn't really like being the punchline she doesn't want to be point. a joke she was like i'm not going again she's like i'm not going to be the contract actress that i want to be if i'm the joke all the time you know because i'm replaceable to me because she seems so much like she was so worried about money and that makes you kind of stand out well this is the whole thing is like she's so worried about money that she is doing everything she can to make her career long lasting and mm. not short lived. Okay. So I think that's with all these decisions she's making, she's like, okay, like I'm making a splash, but if I'm going to get a serious contract, I can't just be the punchline. Mm. I have to make myself everything, you know, I can't just be this like small part of the production. Um, so she started trading dance lessons for whatever she had, little bits of cash and clothing. And she was eventually kind of working her way up the rows of dancers. She's like, okay, I started in the back and now I'm like third row, second row until she was like in the front row. And she goes, okay, now I can dance. Like this is another bankable, payable skill that I have. She's a double threat. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She can act though. She can, she, you know, they would later say, like, she's not the best actress. She's a very good comedic actress, but... She's no Condoleezza Rice on 30 Rock. No. <laughs> <laughs> the worst acting I've seen Woo, in my, in all my that years. That was intense. Condoleezza, stick with politics. Intense. <laughs> um, so now that she is like, okay, great, double threat now, I'm going to uh, look for better opportunities. And one finally came when an actress was with a touring company and she was injured and needed to be replaced. (laughs) So now she has this bigger role with a speaking part. Very exciting. Um, And she gets in with this company, but she's doing what's called dialect comedy. 
And this is a lot of heavy accents and stereotypes. And she was partially cast because she grew up around a lot of Jewish women because she is a Jewish woman and she could do a really good over the top Yiddish accent. And they're like, perfect. So like you play the over the top Jewish woman and like, you know, do this comedy routine and it'll be great. And you know, these kind of things are seen as very problematic today. They were super common back then. It doesn't mean they were okay, but you know, this was the style of comedy back then. And the good thing is that Fanny was Jewish. So she understood how it might sound to a Jewish audience member. So she would often like tone things down a bit that like she didn't care for. Um, and she didn't just have this policy with the Yiddish accent or anything. She tried to remain good natured in all of her comedy, no matter who she was poking fun at, because she really didn't like to hurt people's feelings. So in this kind of like fucked up world of like early dialect comedy, she was trying to like be a little bit better. Like it still kind of comes off as offensive to a lot of people. Um, but I mean, comedy in general is offensive by nature. And mm -hmm. I think that's something we have to be comfortable with. Yeah. Like, I think there's a very fine line between what's funny via, like, a personal comedian making a personal joke and what should be comedy on a, like, network sitcom. Right. That mm -hmm. is very different and very important. That is a fine line that you do need to walk. Like, it's not cool. Yeah. You know, and how I met your mother when Barney is talking about like the women that he's mm -hmm. conquested, but it's right. like it's different for somebody to be. I don't I, like. I don't know what the difference is, but it is there. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, but this is kind of where her true talent starts to come through, even though she didn't. And again, this is the difference between her her being a punchline and her making the jokes. I think mm -hmm. that's also an important distinction to make because, like. She's not just the one chorus girl that's, like, you know, getting kind of shit on. She is kind of, like, the main – like, she's up in front of the stage kind of, like, mm. making the jokes. So and she's like, gone, like, over the teeter-totter of the seesaw. Yeah. And with this new role, you know, like, a lot of people just do the act as written because she didn't write any of this. But Fanny liked to improvise and change things up. And she would make things a little sillier. Or if something went wrong, she would really go with it and exploit the comedy of the situation. Like, she'd be like, oh, look at that. My boot fell off. Like, da-da-da-da-da. I'm not a comedian. I don't know how to throw that away. You know, I don't know how to do that. But, <laughs> but she did. <laughs> look um, at my boot. <laughs> um, so she just had a natural talent for tweaking the show to make it fit her and to make it kinder and funnier and really draw the audience in and she did love getting these like big laughs from the audience so like anytime she was in a piece you know with other people like she would be like well my boot fell off last night maybe it'll fall off tonight again you know <laughs> <laughs> um but this kind of bit her in the ass after a while because she was seeking these opportunities out a little bit too much um and eventually she started to, again, mess up on purpose just to get the audience to laugh, which the other performers didn't care for. Because they're like, yeah, but we're doing a scene. Like, your boot's not supposed to fall off. Like, it's supposed to stay on because you need to walk to stage right and give that person their parcel. 
or whatever. Exit left, chased by bear. (laughs) Got it. No, that is sucky because it is that, um, it are, you know, there are those moments that you see where like people are trying to take center stage and they're supposed to be part of an ensemble. Yes. And that's also not fair. No, it's not. It's not. Like I was just, I was listening to the office ladies and they were talking about the guy who played Gabe on the office and they're like, he was so good at like improvising but not making the whole scene about himself which is hard to do he is so so creepily (laughs) funny i want to die when i'm like watching him he's so cringe he's so uncomfortable (laughs) well but you know what it was like such a perfect we're not an office podcast we can be if you want us to be we can be um probably should cover pam (laughs) oh jesus yeah damn okay maybe kelly kapoor first yes (laughs) no but in all colors (laughs) he was like a really he was a really great um like replacement for the cringe of michael scott like yeah Mm -hmm. we needed we needed him in that in that weird lull of where andy was in charge (laughs) oh yeah god that was awful right um so She's doing all this. She's working steadily. And when she's 17, remember, she's still a child. Well, she was like 10 at Baldville <laughs> getting awards, of course. Yeah. She's 14 when she started. So she's like a veteran actress. <laughs> she's 17. And she finally gets signed for a three year contract by a burlesque theater producer named Max Spiegel. But since she was only 17, Max is obviously like, okay, now take this to your mom and have her sign it. And Fanny was like, I am not taking any chances with my mom not signing this. So she pulled an old stunt and told Max, she goes, ooh, I wish she could, but she's illiterate. Um, so I'll just sign this. Like, don't worry about that at all. And her, again, her mom is like, I am a thriving realtor in- early 1900s i am not illiterate i have run multiple businesses you bitch (laughs) (laughs) okay so anyways her mother did not appreciate that lie either um so (laughs) i'm obsessed with this her mom is like i'm fucking doing everything i can you're being terrible oh my god (laughs) so i love it i love i love i love them both (laughs) with max spiegel she really honed her act even more and became one of his star performers at this burlesque when fanny was 18 she got married to an entrepreneur named frank white he owned a string of barber shops now, this guy, he's really crazy uh, because the two of them met while she was on tour because he followed her around on tour, going to the different cities to see her perform each night and take her out to dinner after her performances. <sighs> Now, Fanny had always been a little suspicious of men. Uh, Her dad was obviously not the most present, and she didn't think that she was very pretty. So she thought, if a man is interested in me, it is not genuine. But she is pretty. She is very pretty. I was Googling pictures. She's so pretty. And it sucks that, like, she just spent her whole career thinking that she was ugly. And I hate that. There's one picture that I think she looks exactly like Maya Rudolph. 
Oh. I'll show it to you because yeah. I was Googling her and I was like, this is kind of an odd one. And out. do you think she looks like Chloe Sevigny? No, I do. I do. There was just a really interesting one where it looked very SNL. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. Do you see it? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Very comedic. And again, that's why I'm talking very about her. comedic and fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like- her face is like rubber. Like it can just like morph and transform like Maya Rudolph's can. Yeah. Um, so again, I just always think about that rose on her face during sex and <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Okay, go ahead. I'm focusing. I'm focusing. Um, so she was like a little like, <laughs> I don't know about this guy. Um, but her friends were like, but if you get married, then you'll be settled and you'll have security and like it'll be great. Like you just have to say yes to these types of things. So she did agree to marry Frank White. Um, and this was. Not the secure marriage that people told her it was going to be, um, because after just a few days of them being married, he left the tour, left Fanny, never to see her again. What? He never? He was like following her around, was like, marry me, marry me, marry me. And then they got married and he's like, all right, bye. I don't understand. I don't know if like she was like a virgin and he was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. You know, and like whatever, like, or like it was a conquest or like, I don't know. It just seems so crazy to me. So I don't know. He leaves her. They do officially divorce like years later, but yeah, she like never sees him again. It's crazy. But in 1910, things take an exciting turn for her career. A man by the name of Florence Ziegfeld or Ziegfeld, sent her a telegram which read, will you come to see me at your earliest convenience? Like Ziegfeld and Roy? No, like Ziegfeld Follies. Mm -hmm. Even better, honestly. (laughs) And she thought this is a fucking joke. (laughs) She was like, okay, who sent me this telegram? Like, I know it was you. I want to receive a telegram maybe once. I think it would be nice. Can you send me one? Stop. I will say my sweet old Miss Edie, who just passed away recently, would always call me on my birthday and she would say, Western Union with a telegram from (laughs) Miss Catherine Elizabeth Greenwood. And she'd go, happy birthday to you. And she would (laughs) sing me the happy birthday like that. That's so funny because my grandmother would call me on my birthday to sing me happy birthday (laughs) every year before she passed. I don't understand it. Should we restart this? Western Union <laughs> from now on. I love it. She's like, this is a hot reference that everyone will get. <laughs> Western Union with a telegram. <laughs> Miss Edie was married a thousand oh, times. So many times. What a crazy woman. Mm. Oh. So this was not a joke, though. This telegram, it was real. An associate of him, uh, his, <laughs> had scouted Fanny and him, told his him, I have Maybe I just like didn't eat enough today. I don't know what's going on, but I am like <laughs> drunk. So it's like, hey, producer's <laughs> gonna make tacos if he ever gets here. Um so this guy scouted Fanny and he told Zigfield he was like, This girl is perfect for your show, <gasps> the Zigfield Follies. And after a brief meeting, she was signed. 
which normally would not have worked because remember she's already under a different contract <laughs> but she's but like MGM. sorry i illegally signed that so it's actually not valid because i was 17 i was void. a minor void void. So she goes, void that uh put it you, in your Mr. paper Spiegel. shredder put it in your shredder love you thank you so much um so she leaves thank the current you. company Next. <laughs> and the contract was originally for $75 a week for the first year and $100 a week for the second year. Mm. But Rose made kind of like a, I don't know, an out-of-bounds move for herself. And she goes, all right, I haven't been involved in this at all. Mama I didn't even Rose? sign it. Mama, Mama Rose. Rose. Okay, Mama Rose. I think that when she came home and was like, this is what they're offering me, Rose is like, you're worth more than that. You've been working since you were 14. Let me step in, honey. Yes, Mom. Yes, and mom. she goes, no, no, no. She is going to get $100 for the first year and 150 for the second. And they were like, all right, she's done it. She's got it. And once she had that signed contract, apparently Fanny stood in the middle of Times Square showing everyone her contract who would stop and listen to her to be like, I fucking made it. Because this is a big deal contract. Like the other one was a contract and it was fine and it was nice but this is the Ziegfeld Follies this is a huge fucking deal yeah so she spends the next two years touring around with the Follies and she spends a lot of time with Mr. Ziegfeld and his girlfriend who winds up teaching Fanny how to dress because apparently her style when she started to get a little bit of that money was a little bit gauche (laughs) but after those two years, they ended up Tasteful, splitting ways. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Just goes. <laughs> it does go. Some, so their, her split with the folly was, was really contentious. Some say that she was straight up fired and others say that it was a misunderstanding, which actually happened a lot with her and Zigfield. Um, like they would send a lot of telegrams back and forth and whatever. And apparently like he was like, I'm not seeing you. And she was like, oh, I guess I'm fired. I don't know. It was like really weird. Like, I don't think he meant to fire her, but then he kind of accidentally did. <laughs> There's no sarcasm font. You need to no, just no, no, say no, it no. in person. Especially not in a telegram. Honestly. <laughs> Hon- You're fired. Stop. <laughs> her feelings Oh my were God. Stop her. it, girls. Stop. <laughs> Shut up. Stop. stop. <laughs> You're a princess, Mia. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Mia Mignonette. <laughs> exactly. Ramapales Ronaldi. If okay. somebody does not get me more Julie Andrews as I'm the queen of what's it called? Genovia. Genovia. <laughs> then I will die. I will die here on the spot. <laughs> Julie Andrews is still alive and we need to appreciate every second. Yes, we do. Put her in more movies. And murder that doctor who destroyed her vocal cords. We will kill him. We will kill him in his sleep. Rise up. Okay. Rise up. Okay, go ahead. So her feelings were hurt by this, but either way, it ended up okay because she ended up landing another contract with the Schubert brothers for $450 a week unbelievable <laughs> so she is making like i mean three times as much money i don't know math but i think it's three times as much i feel like it's as much that's crazy 150 dollars <laughs> to 450 so she's making a shit ton of money she's touring around and it's during this part of her life where she meets a man named julius who went by the name of nikki arnstein 
while she was on tour in a little town called Baltimore, <laughs> where all great romances start. You mean the uh, you mean the greatest city in America, <laughs> like our bus stops say? Get engaged with us is the whole deal. Please do. You go to Smythe's, and they not only can you get a ring, but you can get a little ornament for your tree that is the Natty Bow guy proposing to the Utz girl, and it says, get engaged with us in Baltimore. <laughs> I love that, it. Philly thinks they're the love city it. of love, but uh-uh. fuck them. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, it's like, I really like Philly. <laughs> let me give you a warning. This is not a love story. <laughs> oh, damn. So, well, we are trashy here. We're trashy. <laughs> The two had a whirlwind romance because she was totally infatuated by this man. And still married. And again, meanwhile, it's kind of weird for her because she was kind of suspicious of Ben. She's like, I'm not very pretty. So, like, what is his deal? But she's very pretty. I know. I know. But she was like, this man is so classy. He had this really fancy apartment in Baltimore. She Which goes, is so true. It's so luxurious. Is it right across from Druid Hill Park? Honey, One he of those had biggies? seven toothbrushes. And I'm Why? not even making that Why did up. she say that? She couldn't get enough of it. Who she has goes, seven? <laughs> I was like, I think you're misreading the situation. I'm licking my teeth. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, he had them for the, the missuses. I think he had them for the missuses. But I think she was like, his teeth are so clean. He has seven. I think she was misreading the How situation a little bit. How did you get your teeth clean before cross white stripes? I don't I just know. don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who Rip. knows? <laughs> so she was like this is the classiest man i have ever met he had style and substance and grace but he was also a gambler and a con man and a <gasps> married man who had already been arrested multiple times he was married well he so was, was she. married so was she uh i think yeah but they were separated. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Touche. Touche. Okay. So, wait. But he, no, but his wife was not okay with him philandering. Okay. So, like, his wife is, like, full in the picture. Yeah. That's not cool. No. Or his wife. Unnamed wife. Now, to his credit, the only thing he hid for a while was the fact that he was married. <laughs> he, he was like, I'm a full gambler. I'm terrible. He goes, I'm a con artist. And she goes, that is so thrilling and exciting. <laughs> Does he know sleight of hand card tricks? Probably. Is He's a Paige? total Jess Mariano. Which is it? Paige or you that can't get over the magic tricks? Me, it's you. I love it. Paige is fine with it. I you love, love the magic it. trick. So <laughs> this man woos her to the nth degree and he soon convinces her he goes you know it'd be amazing like i have this apartment in baltimore but i should move up to new york with you and your mother because fanny and her mother were living together and so he moves in with them her mother rose does not like this man at all because her mom has a head on her shoulders i know and her mom rose is like do not trust anything this man says. He literally <laughs> like, told you he was a con artist. Yeah, he's not okay. Day one. God, it's just the worst. If and you're going to be a con artist with someone, you have to have learned the ropes together. 
Exactly. You need to be like learning the tightrope. Yeah. But she is just not really paying attention to the red flags. And she even <laughs> finds out about his wife. And she goes, that's okay. You'll leave her. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll leave her. Nope. Fingers that's crossed behind his back. Never a fair bet. And of course, um, he is spending lots of money on her. But it's not his money. It is her money. <laughs> Wait, whoa. Everything they did, every meal, everything they bought was with her money. This guy is the worst. Thankfully, Rose, who saw through him immediately, she, so Fanny's whole career, she had been giving Rose like kind of an allowance. She was like, you're my mom. I want to help support you. And she was giving her mother like a portion of her paycheck every time she got one. But Rose was like already kind of financially stable in her own right. So what Rose had been doing this whole time was putting the money that Fanny had been giving her in a savings account that Fanny and Nikki could not touch. Let me, she is so cool. What a great mother. What a great mom. <laughs> because that's like the exact opposite of a stage parent. Yeah. Yeah. Because her mom wasn't a stage parent. She did not want Fanny to have that type of lifestyle. No, she was like, I'm a businesswoman. Yeah. I'm a real estate agent. I have every job. I've had every job every time. But yeah. Isn't that amazing? She was stashing away because she was like, if I don't, this man will leave you high and dry. And I know that. Can somebody get Macaulay Culkin this mom? I know. <laughs> Um, it's like, he's probably fine. And you know what? She was right to do that because after a while, Fanny was out of pocket money. She like was paying all her bills and stuff. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound like she was like totally out of money. She was well, there's paying pay- her bills. There's like everyday money and there's like money that's banked. Yeah. And so she was totally out of pocket money and she wanted to surprise Nikki on his trip to London because he was always going away on business, whatever that fucking men so she pawns her jewelry because her mom was not going to give her any of that savings money she pawns her jewelry to take a trip to london with nick this is very like the gift of the magi again (laughs) (laughs) except nikki is not doing any magi gifts did he cut off his hair to get her a coat he didn't do anything (laughs) what is he doing so did he sell his harmonica case no he didn't sell anything damn he didn't do anything nikki so she surprises him on his trip to London. It's very exciting. He's probably like, shit, I was going like, to see my damn. London girlfriend. <laughs> my London wife. Why are you even here? But I Who's, will say. Are there planes? <laughs> what year Steamboats. Steamboats all the way. Steamboat Willie. There's a steamboat cannot go across the Atlantic. Okay. Steam, coal, <laughs> whatever. Whatever they're doing. It's a boat. It's a boat. It's a full Atlantic trip. It's a charter boat. Um, we don't know actually an ocean liner, have, if you will. We have no way. It didn't hit an iceberg. <laughs> it's fine. That's all I know. <laughs> so thankfully, actually, there are also this- actually planes. Planes existed in 1901. Sure, We're fine. Sure. <laughs> okay, um, thankfully though, this trip wasn't a disaster. They actually had a really good time. Um, she books some gigs and she makes extra cash while she's in London. Cause it's kind of a novelty to have like, you know, a Ziegfeld Folly from America in the UK. Like, it's very exciting. What a funny American. So she's making extra cash. She's making connections. And when they get back to America, they're even more in love. And they decide that it's time that they start living on their own. Finally away from Fanny's mother, a.k.a. the only one with a good sense in the household. <laughs> um, 
So they move out. They get this swanky apartment. It's very exciting. And I will say her mom did use the apartment to host poker night with her girlfriends, which I think is such a great little I hope. thing. I mean, I hope. So I hope you would. while all this is going on, Nick starts investing Fanny's money into various businesses that he wants to start. But unfortunately, none of these businesses go anywhere because after he starts them, he kind of starts to lose interest. I think he just really liked a launch party. He was like, yeah, everybody celebrates you when you start a business and there's champagne and there's a whole thing. But then when it starts to be like, okay, but now you have to work to you know, do the business. He was like, like, Oh, I'm not interested. He's a zero follow that. Boy. Exactly. Yeah. I hate that. Um, but this is the thing he's using Fanny's money to operate all of these things, but he is not without money. He is making his own money this whole time, but he's doing it very illegally. So he can't use that money to fund his ventures in the typical way because he can't account for it. But this catches up to him uh he had apparently been involved with the gondorf gang who had been involved in some you know illegal wiretapping and there are wires (laughs) apparently there are wires that can be tapped at this time i mean i guess they're sending telegrams so fine yeah (laughs) um nikki is arrested he is found guilty and he is sentenced to sing sing prison in new york (gasps) Fanny, of course, paid for bail. She paid for lawyers. She paid for special treatment in jail. Think fancy dinners with the warden. She's paying for all of it. And she is also choosing kind of to make less money at this time. She's still making a lot of money. But when you're a performer like she is, you're supposed to go on tour. And that's how you make more money. But she goes, no, I have to stay in New York because I have to visit Nikki in jail every week. So she is staying in New York, still doing shows, but not making the type of money that she's used to making. Mm. So, so it's like COVID. Yeah. (laughs) She has to stay (laughs) in one place. But I will say her career in New York is going well. She had started collaborating with Blanche Merrill, a songwriter to create fun songs that showed up to her comedic nature and her incredible singing voice. And she is getting so popular around New York that Mr. Zigfield himself asked her to come back to the Follies. He said, I'll even pay you $200 a week. At this point, Fanny is making nearly $1,000 a week on her own terms. So she sent back a telegram that said something like, Breaking news, Fanny Bryce found dead in her hotel room clutching a telegram from Mr. Zigfield. What? Like she, I was so offended by that offer that I died. That's what she's saying. <laughs> oh, apparently the they sent a lot of telegrams the like drama. this. They had a really funny relationship. I love that. Um, so she ended up rejoining the Follies at five fifty a week, <laughs> and she was like making a little bit less. But the Follies was a really good place for a performer like Fanny. The show ran like a well-oiled machine, and it was changing all the time. So Fanny got to bring in her own act and the things that she had been working on and also have kind of the um, security that, like, they were going to sell ticket because, you know, people always came to the Folly show. So she was like, there's a lot more security. It's a little bit more laid back. I can kind of do what I want. It's like being part of a union. Yeah, exactly. Um, so 
she's doing the follies. But then after some time doing this, she again kind of got that bug to get into more serious acting gigs. So she started a production of the play Why Worry, which did not do so well due to the writing and Fanny's performance. (laughs) Because again, she's not a great serious actress, which is sad. Um, Okay. I've said a lot of things that happened to her in the past couple sentences. <laughs> so let's catch up with her. She's in the follies, trying to be more serious. Nikki's in jail. Now he gets out of jail. Right. And they decide that this is a great time to get married in 1918. Because he had finally left his wife. Um, he had obviously not really been with her for quite some time. I mean, Fanny and him had been living together for like six years at this point, but his wife was like, no, I'm not granting you a divorce. You asshole. Like you left me high and dry. Like what the hell is wrong with you? Um, so she wasn't granting him the divorce and then he caught her with another man. So then he was like, well, I can get the divorce without you now. Um, So then he got the divorce, but then the ex-wife sued Fanny for alienation of affection, claiming that Fanny stole her husband. (laughs) I mean, is this a thing? I guess so. I love alienation of affection. Let's all get that on the board. Uh, It's just crazy. Let's make that Um, a card we play. But don't worry. Nick had a plan. He goes, don't worry, Fanny. I'm going to get her drunk. And have her sign the papers that say she's going to drop the lawsuit. And that's exactly what he did. This shit was so messy. And even after all this, like, he wasn't exactly divorcing her to, like, because he wanted to marry Fanny so badly. Because he's like, why would I? He's like, you know, I'm still having her money. So, like, why does it matter? But Fanny was like, okay, I'm giving you an ultimatum. She was like, I waited through your marriage your divorce, your wife's lawsuit of me, your prison sentence. Like we're getting married and you know what? We have to anyways, because I'm fucking pregnant. (gasps) (laughs) Fanny, what a secret to keep. Not a good look in 1918 to be a pregnant, unmarried woman. She tried to hide it for a while. She would wear special undergarments while she was on stage. So the audience wouldn't know. But there's obviously a point of no return on these matters um, when your belly is growing. (laughs) So they got married, and two months after the wedding, she gave birth to their daughter, Frances. And she went back to work as soon as possible after the birth. For the next two years, things seemed to settle down. Fanny worked consistently. Frances started to grow, and Nick did whatever the hell he wanted. (laughs) Which again caught up to him because one day in 1920, Fanny came home to find Nick packing a suitcase. He said, I'm innocent, and then left without saying another word to Fanny. What? What did he do? What did we wait? A few days later, Fanny is brought into the police station for questioning. <laughs> Turns out, Nikki. Arnstein had been running a bond scam with some Wall Street guys and together they had stolen or maybe planned to steal. I was kind of fuzzy on the details. Uh, Five million dollars. <gasps> They're like trying to like play the big bank. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
The police grilled Fanny about the scam and Nick's whereabouts, but of course she really had no idea. She was like, that's his business. I really don't know. Um, and so she was like, I'm also upset at him. Okay. Let's make that very clear. <laughs> like he left me, but they eventually figured out a way to communicate. Fanny would go to a brazier factory to make and receive phone calls from him where he goes, honey, I'm innocent. I swear. And she believed him. Mm. This, of course, this whole thing is so stressful for Fanny. She wasn't sleeping. She wasn't eating. She lost a ton of weight during this time and her health is suffering. But isn't she pregnant? She'd had the baby. The oh. baby's like two years old. So at this now point. she's trying to like raise a child and is falling yeah. apart and okay. working every night and like show business hours, like late into the night, like, like early mornings. Like it's insane what she's doing. And so Nick eventually does decide to come back to New York and turn himself in. And Fanny, of course, posts bail for him. So he's home. She becomes pregnant with their second child while he's out on bail. Well, he's been holding it in. Uh-huh. Um, and it is a boy who they named William after Nick's defense attorney. <gasps> <laughs> vomit. Vomit, vomit, vomit. Fanny continued to pay his legal bills and everything else under the sun, and Nick continued to be a piece of shit. While he was out on bail, he decided to spend some time down in D.C., and he shared an apartment with a friend of his, and they hosted illegal drinking parties because this is during Prohibition and routinely had women over. So he's doing more illegal things and cheating on Fanny all the time, being the worst person ever. Can we all send Nick <laughs> up a river? What are, what are we doing with him? Finally, after his trial, he was found guilty and sentenced to prison in Leavenworth, Texas, and he served a 19-month sentence starting in 1924. Through all of this, she is sticking with him and being by his side and, like, just really believing that he's going to get better. And ironically, she has a hit song during this time called My Man. Oh, gross. I'm upset about this. Me too. It's a more serious song than she's used to doing, and it is about a woman who stands by her man even though he treats her like shit. With the success of this song, she thought, maybe this is my time to kind of break out of my comedic routine and be the leading lady I've always wanted to be. But she felt like there was still one thing holding her back. And it wasn't Nikki, and it wasn't Zigfield or whatever. She goes, it's my looks. Why does she still think that? She just never thought of herself as beautiful. And the problem is, too, is she knows that Nikki's cheating on her. So she's like, okay, well, that's that's the proof I need. Yeah, like, but he's garbage, not her. I know. But that's how she thinks. So she's like, all right, in order to achieve my dreams and live the life that I want to live, she goes, I'm going to have to take things a step further. So in 1923, she decided to undergo plastic surgery because she was like, I have got to get rid of my, quote, Jewish nose because that's why I'm not pretty. That's why Nikki's cheating on me. That's why I can't get the roles that I want. Um, so she gets a nose job. Which, if it makes you feel better, do it. Yeah, but it didn't make a difference for her career. 
she still wasn't getting the parts she wanted. But did she feel better? I don't think she did. Mm. I don't think that it was the relief that she was thinking it would be. Mm. You know, because things really didn't change for her. You know, her husband was still a piece of shit and she's not getting the roles that she wanted. So I don't know. Like, I also wonder in that time. I'm not against plastic surgery. No, I, like, I swear, like we are. We've talked about it multiple times. Yeah. We're not. Like, no, like I also wonder like if what plastic surgery was like in that era. I have, I can't even imagine. Cause it's like, I have fake boobs, but they don't look, you know, mm-hmm. they're not huge and I yeah. get Botox and I don't think I have no wrinkles. I think mm-hmm. there's like a balance. Yeah. And I think that they, there was no finesse in the no. early, you know, the early to mid 1900s. There isn't finesse for plastic surgery. No. It's new. And it also like, I think she was, using it as a way to fix problems that weren't going to be fixed by this. You know, like she's talking about problems that are not her nose's fault, you know, that like the fucking Hollywood industry is messed up and that her husband is cheating on her. Right. And I think that's where it kind of comes into like, you're not doing this to make you feel better. You're using it to fix your problems that can't be fixed by this. Right. You know, so I don't really know, like I never saw anything that got really personal into like how she felt about it. Mm. I know Nick actually told her not to do it, mm. but either way, well, cause surgery is fucking dangerous. Especially, yeah, especially, back, especially then. back then. My God. Like, scary. Um, so she's still being sidelined as the comedian playing stereotypical Jewish characters. Um, and then Nick does eventually get out of prison, but instead of straightening out, he decides to go into business with some of his prison buddies, opening up a casino in Chicago. Again, none of these problems were solved. No. And Fanny is so distraught by all of this because she's like, no, like you're supposed to come out and be with me. Like, look, like I fixed things. Like I'm better. Like just fucking be with me. This is not the way that it is supposed to be. She's like, you know, you're supposed to love me enough to not do this shit anymore. But of course he didn't. And Mm. Fanny gave him the money for the casino. He started cheating with her with more abandon because he's like, I'm in a different city. Like, I'm certainly not going to, you know, not cheat on you. And this time, though, he was like, I've already been in jail. I don't give a shit. And he's cheating on her in a very public way. But she bought him out of jail all the time. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. And this time he is being photographed by the press out on town with other ladies. And it's being published. And she's like, it was one thing when you were doing it in like a hotel in D.C. And nobody fucking knew. But now it's embarrassing. But now it's embarrassing because you are making a mockery of me. Because I've stood by your side this whole fucking time. The number one thing about cheating is that it is, it's not a betrayal. I don't think the betrayal is the big thing. I think the thing is that when you cheat on someone and it is made public, it makes it seem like they weren't good enough for you. Yeah. And that's embarrassing to be yeah. like, I couldn't fulfill your needs. Yeah. That's disgusting. It sucks. Um, and he also had more criminal charges pending from God knows what, because he had been involved in illegal shit for years. And all of this did wind up in them getting divorced in 1927. They had been together for 15 years through all of this shit. So Fanny decides maybe it's time to readjust. And she goes, you know what? 
I'll try my hand in film. Mm-hmm. She goes, there's been silent movies. She goes, but a talkie came out last year called The Jazz Singer, and that did really well. She goes, I think talkies are for me. And in 1928, she starred in a movie based on her hit song, My Man, which apparently made her the first woman to star in a talkie. Really? Yeah. Which is really cool. I know. It was like one of the earliest ones ever made. Um, So she's starring in a talkie. She's singing on camera. She's like, I think this is good. And she gets married for a third time to a man named Billy Rose. He's a songwriter, and together they work on new material and movies together. She makes a few films over the next few years in the very early years of the film business, even starring in one with Judy Garland, pre-Wizard of Oz, obviously. Little baby Judy. And you can still find clips of this online. An infant an infant Judy infant. Garland. <sighs> but none of her movies were like huge hits. Again, this is slow burning it was business. so early. And people didn't really like the parts in between the big musical numbers where she was a love interest. They didn't believe it. They're like, if you're not going to be funny, just don't be in the picture at all. But what I do appreciate about this time period of her life is that she made a movie called Be Yourself, and it's basically her vaudeville act, right. which gives us a really cool opportunity to see what it would have been like to see Fanny Bryce on stage, like in her peak, you know, Zigfield Follies days, mm-hmm. which is very cool. And you can still, again, find clips online. The whole movie, Be Yourself, actually is on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um. But she's also still doing theater at this time. Uh, she does a few more tours with the Ziegfeld Follies. And it's around this time that she develops her most famous character, actually, Baby Snooks. This is what you talked about in the yes. physical. And I'm super concerned. It doesn't come until so much later in her okay. career. All right. Shocking. Okay, Snooky. But this is Baby what Snooky. she was most famous for. Mm. She would get up on stage dressed as a tiny child. Keep in mind, she's in her late 30s and she's quite a tall woman. And she would just do like little kid comedy acts and this like little baby voice. And people fucking loved it. And the clip with her and Judy Garland, she is playing Baby Snooks. And Judy Garland is like, you know, oh, Baby Snooks, like, we got to do this. And she goes, why? Like, it is so annoying. Ugh. It is so annoying. I hated it. Exactly. <laughs> it's SNL, Mad TV. Props to you, Fanny, but I hated it. It's. That makes me want to cringe. So she's doing this character, and lucky for Fanny, this character played even better on the radio. People love it. They love it. But they, they can love see Baby her. But they can see her. They love it when, even when they can see her. But when she's on radio, it's even better because they're like, "This woman's doing a baby voice. It's crazy." <laughs> And this is also a good step for her career because not everyone can pay to go see the Ziegfeld Follies or pay to go to the movies, the talkies. But mostly everyone at this time had a radio and they could turn Baby Snook's radio shower on. Shower. Radio hour. I've been talking for so long. I'm so very tired. Katie, it's a thing that happens here on this podcast where we talk and we talk. Um, so. imagine you're giving your Ted talk on this woman's life and okay. like revamp. <laughs> okay. So 
But everyone can turn into the Baby Snooks radio hour. And I think this is also a good move for her personally because she's having some health issues during this time. Something was going on with her spine, so she had a ton of back pain. And some real fucked up stuff is going on with her teeth, so she ends up having them all taken out and wearing dentures for the rest of her life. Oh, my God, same. And... So, baby Snooks is going well, her health is going poorly, and then her marriage to her third husband, Billy, is also going poorly. Billy! He falls in love with another woman, this young Olympic swimmer who wants to break into show business named Eleanor. I'm so annoyed with why nobody likes her. I don't understand it. Um, And so, he decides to leave Fanny for Eleanor, and... He said in an article, what really sealed the deal for him was that Eleanor was willing to stop pursuing a career and just be his wife. He goes, Fanny was never going to do that. Oh, I hate that. The divorce was not pleasant and it left Fanny very bitter. And she never married again after this. And she said to the press, she goes, I'm not doing that again. And she never did. Um, and just a side note, Billy's marriage to Eleanor also didn't last. He cheated on her and they eventually split up. Good. So terrible, man. Now that this is all going on, she is like, all right, I need to start over. So she's like, I don't have to be on the East coast to do radio. I can do that from anywhere. I just have to record it. So she decides to pick up and move to the West coast. So she moves to California and she goes, I'm just doing radio. I'm so done with the stage. (laughs) And by the 1940s, Baby Snooks was so popular that she had her own hour-long radio special. Just being this baby? Just being a baby. Fanny is living her best life here. She has, like, a normal work week. She said, can you believe it? I'm keeping farmer hours now. I go to bed at 10 and wake up at 8. And all the farmers laughed and laughed because... They do not get up at 8 a.m. They get up much earlier. (laughs) And she spends her spare time painting and getting into interior design. And she loves just, like, redoing friends' houses for fun. And she's just so much more relaxed here. But she did say that the West Coast was, like, really nice. But she said, I'm I'm losing some of my East Coast sharp wit that I was particularly fond of we're because so it's much so nice more here. <laughs> witty. We're more negative. That's they, true. They call it wit, but it's negativity. It's negativity, <laughs> for sure. So things are coasting along for Fanny. The radio show's doing really well. Um, but in 1945, she suffered a heart attack. <gasps> but she wasn't done yet. And mm. as soon as she recovered, she was right back at the microphone. Oh, my goodness. Which was good because the show didn't stop when she left. They just made it a special called The Search for Baby Snooks, which was like, Baby Snooks ran away from home. Where is she? <laughs> She's dying in She's a hospital. She's dying in a hospital because she is an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. She's not at that. She's like middle aged. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. By 1948, TVs are becoming all the rage and radios were not the center of the family entertainment anymore, which like, thank God, Jesus Christ. Honestly, clear. Can you imagine sitting around your family with your family around the radio? I mean, clearly people are doing that with our podcast right now. Oh, no, 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 no. Podcasts are just a new radio. (laughs) (laughs) Let them, let them like us. Let them like us. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, so it's coming into the TV era and baby Snooks was basically 
given the ultimatum, they go, take a pay cut or transition to TV. And Fanny was like, I'm not doing either of those things. She goes, number one, I would never take a pay cut. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm worth way more than that. I'm a middle-aged woman who's proud of my career. And number two, she goes, I'm a middle-aged woman to pre- pretending to be a baby. I'm not doing that on television. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, people could see me. She goes, it's working right now because nobody can see me anymore. Like, <laughs> So she left the show. But then I think they realized that they were missing out on some money. So they hired her back for another two seasons. It's a very tumultuous time. Mm. She said, okay, but after those two years, I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm writing my memoir. I'm done. And guess who comes calling during this time? Which husband or mom or father? Nikki Arnstein calls Fanny up and he goes, hey, uh, my latest wife died. Do you want to give it another shot? And finally, she uttered those sweet words that are often so hard to say. Fuck you. Fuck you. No. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad we were on the same page. I'm glad she didn't say something good. And maybe this was the thing she needed to do before she left this world. (laughs) Because not long after, Fanny had a stroke. She went into a coma and she passed away on May 29th, 1951. She was six shows away from retirement. I know. So close. And she's not even that old. No. Like, God, I should have written down how old she was. Oh, wait, she was born in like 1851 or something? Let me look this up really quick. So wait, what what year did you say it was? I feel like if you would just tell me the numbers, I could do the math in my head. <laughs> and instead, you're being uh, cryptic. She was born in 1891, and she died in 1951. Okay, so she was like 60. 59. Yep. Right on the money. See you how it. quick it could have been? You did it. If you had just told Sorry. me. <laughs> if you had just told also, me Also, all my other papers are on the floor. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about so... us. Guys, we type papers for an entire week. An entire week worth of paper we type. And then every time we finish a page, we just throw it. Just throw it away. Because somebody has to throw do it. it. It's not, I mean, it's, we're not historians. So she's 59. Okay. Six shows away from retirement. 1,300 people attended her funeral. And she was remembered on her radio show with by her co-stars saying, We have lost a very real, a very warm, and a very wonderful woman. Fanny never finished her memoir that she was working on, but we all know that her story lives on, even if we may not have realized it. In 1963, a musical was written about her life by none other than her son-in-law, Francis's husband, Ray Stark. The project started out as a movie that he was writing with a woman named Isabel Leonard about his late mother-in-law, but it wasn't quite working out the way he wanted. He was like, it's just like... I have the story, I have the character, but it's just not coming together. And then actress Mary Martin of Peter Pan fame (laughs) suggested to him, she goes, I think it should be a Broadway musical. And I think that I should star in it as Fanny. (laughs) Ray liked the idea of this, so he hired Jerome Robbins to do the choreography and Stephen Sondheim to do the music, like very, very big names. Stephen Sondheim was pretty gung-ho about the project. He's like, yeah, there's a lot to work with. I'm really excited. Until he learned that Mary Martin was going to play Fanny Bryce. 
And Stephen Sondheim put his foot down and he said, absolutely not. He goes, this is a character that is a proud Jewish woman. Like he's, it's a Jewish character based off of a real Jewish woman. You cannot have a non-Jewish woman playing her. He goes, that's where I put my foot down. He goes, Mm. I can't do that. Yeah. So Ray, uh, did not continue with Stephen Sondheim. He got two other people to do the music, (laughs) Bob Merrill and Jules Stein, uh, or Julie's Julie Stein. I don't know. Uh, but Mary Martin ended up backing out anyways, because she didn't like the way the script was going. Um, so now they were on the hunt for a leading lady. They had thrown around some other names. One woman said, I'll only do it if my husband plays Nikki Arnstein. So they withdrew their offer. And then the second woman was very, was very honest with them. And she was like, I heard the music. This shit is out of my vocal range. Like you need someone with a really, really powerful voice. So Jerome Robbins suggested Carol Burnett play the part. He was like, she's got a great voice. She's a comedic actress. I think she can really do it. But she turned down the role because she said, I am not Jewish. And a Jewish girl should play this role. Like There were a lot of people in the 60s, which is pretretty cool, standing up and being like, no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to hire someone who like Find a Jewish woman. Really fits the part. So, and it was right around this time that a crazy talented young Jewish woman was making her debut on the Broadway stage. Uh, And she was getting glowing reviews written about her. And some of the reviews compared her to Fanny Bryce, which is so crazy to think about. Right. So it's like already it's on paper. It's on paper that reviewers are like, she is Fanny Bryce. She's incredible. Before they even know that a musical is being made about her. And, of course, her name was Barbara Streisand. Frances was a little hesitant about Barbara portraying her mother. She was like, she's too quirky. You know, she's too much. I don't know. I don't like it. She goes, my mother was a comic, but she wasn't a nut. (laughs) Well. But after a grueling auditioning process and seven callbacks, she was finally cast. Barbara Streisand was 21 years old when she got that role. No. Which is unbelievable. The show opened in 1964 and was frankly off to kind of a rough start. There was a lot of shuffling behind the scenes. Um, Jerome Robbins quit because he wanted to change the script. And then Bob Fosse was brought in and he quit for similar reasons. But apparently not without adding one famous line to the opening sequence. Hello, gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) And the reviews were not encouraging. So this is all like kind of off Broadway and... People are like, the show is nearly four hours long. There are so many songs. There's and like some of it doesn't even make sense. Like cut the it, show cut it, cut was it. a mess. And Barbara was not getting along with the man who played Nick. And it was just constantly getting rewritten and tweaked. Apparently one scene was rewritten fifty times. Ugh. But eventually they got everything just right. They took it to Broadway, and it was a huge success. So much so that just four years later, they decided to make a movie out of it with the stipulation that Barbara must play Fanny. This was her first first movie role, and she ended up winning the Oscar for Best Actress. With the success of the show and the movie, it seems kind of surprising that Funny Girl went off Broadway after Barbara left the show. Since its original run, it has not had a major Broadway comeback. It's Why? only existed regionally. 
So weird. I don't understand that. Until April 24th, 2022. We had to do something. (laughs) We've been so bored. Beanie Feldstein, another up-and-coming young Jewish starlet, has taken on the role. And although she may not have the exact singing chops as Barbara Streisand, I think it is just lovely to see her take the stage and embrace this role. Nowadays, when people hear the name Fanny Bryce, they think Barbara Streisand. And they often don't realize that she was a real person. But she was very real, and I think that she kind of lives on in Barbara, showing people that Jewish girls can be beautiful, sincere, dramatic, Oscar-worthy, and, of course, funny. (laughs) How amazing. And that is the story. I get a little embarrassed all the time that we haven't done Barbara Streisand yet. I like, know. obviously, we can't do her this season because B is gone. Yeah. But, like, she's one of those people who, like, have really put their foot down in the world. Yeah. She's incredible. But Fanny, like, what a story of, like, resilience and working and being and existing for I so know. long. For so long. She worked so hard. And she dealt with such shitty men mm-hmm. <laughs> and shitty people. Just in general, I think these two are like interesting, to, hard and interesting to compare. Yes, I agree. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. So I thought the the whole thing that the musical is called Funny Girl and the idea that Elizabeth Bennett is so witty mm-hmm. was very interesting yes because i think that a a a funny girl as seen as like oh you're different because women are supposed to be i guess like stoic serious and stoic i don't really know i think that i think that being funny and being witty is seen as uh something that makes you different Mm. because again i like we were talking about comedy is not evergreen Comedy can hurt people's feelings. Comedy can take things too far. So I think it is easier for women to historically kind of step back and be like, maybe I'll fuck up a marriage prospect or offend my in-laws or whatever if I crack jokes or whatever. And I think it's often the sign of a well-behaved woman to not make jokes and to sit back. And we have two very strong female people, characters, whatever, who... Or like, no, I'm not really concerned about that. I'm going to make jokes and I'm going to be funny because I can't not be, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I think both of them are also so very middle class. And I love that yes. because while I think we focus a lot on poverty and we focus a lot on prosperity, the majority of the people in the world are living in a very stoic middle class. Yeah. And I like that you get to see these two middle class heroes that like, it's not that they made it out. They just like lived through what they were doing. Yeah. And most of us don't end up Elizabeth Bennett's. We don't end up married to like the rich guy mm-hmm. that like shows up. And most of us don't end up to be these famous comedic actresses, but yeah. they lived these middle-class lives, which I like. And I think their middle-class kind of upbringing informed them eventually becoming uber wealthy, right. you know, which is of course like the ultimate dream. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you would love to like wake up one day and have a million dollars. Like not a lot of people do, but I think that they also kind of 
the thing of their stories is they kind of got it on their own merit. You know, mm. like Elizabeth wasn't setting out to marry a man with, you know, wells and means and whatever she the hell else. Shit. She didn't give a shit. And that's what makes her so endearing. Mm-hmm. And what makes, I think, uh, Fanny so endearing is that she was like, oh, no, I am going after the money. I want to make money. I want to be comfortable. Yeah. And it wasn't even that she was like, I want to be a billionaire. I think she really just wanted security because I also think that, like, even though she was middle class, she, like, saw her mom working because her mom was openly working. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an important distinction to also make between her and other people is, like, I think a lot of girls, her – from her time period we're like yeah dad goes to work and who knows what happens but i think rose was like very vocal about like i am the breadwinner of this family i am hustling i am working and you have to work to make money well i think that's also interesting about elizabeth's mom because it's it's like i think if she had not married mr bennett she would have been a working woman. She would have been yeah. a seamstress or mm-hmm. a baker or, you know, a maid in someone's house. But yeah. she married just slightly up enough. Just up enough. So mm-hmm. it's like she, her mom is like this, like, reminder to all the girls in the family that, like, if if you don't get married, you have to work. Yep. Which is so we that mm-hmm. is something that really places pride and prejudice in its in its place where it's yeah. like no we actually want to work <laughs> right yeah <laughs> this is something that we are fond of yeah well and it's incredible the strides then that were like a woman's right to work and like you know and there's a big thing with fanny bryce in that she was such a pioneer for jewish women who wanted to be on stage mm. you know and she is kind of this image of like yeah, I am not Marilyn Monroe. I don't look like her. I never will. And, like, I am, like, the dark-haired, tall, awkward girl who is still going to make it on stage despite, like, you know, not being what you kind of want me to be. And even though, like, she did get a nose job, she did all these other things, like, she's still such an inspiration to a lot of young, especially, like, Jewish comedic actresses Mm. who are coming up and it's like I think they can kind of see herself in them and I think the same is true of Elizabeth Bennett I think people see themselves in her and they're like okay like I can break social norms and I don't have to do exactly what's expected of me well I watched this amazing documentary um like you know the amazing documentary series called explained that's on Netflix Mm-mm. okay well they just like pick random topics and they just say it's it's this explained so like honey explained and oh, they go okay. in and tell you everything about bees mm-hmm. but there's one called plastic surgery explained and it did so much for me in watching mm-hmm. it it was talking about the meter of plastic surgery and it's like a hundred years ago it was like anything to your body breast implants tummy tuck whatever terrible in the middle you know there's botox there's this there's that Mm -hmm. and then everybody doesn't care if you dye your hair and get braces Mm -hmm. well that meter's changing yeah Mm -hmm. and there is a change in like what is and what is not acceptable so Mm -hmm. now it's like and they even brought up things like tattoos and piercings it's Mm -hmm. like that's inching more towards normal Mm -hmm. breast implants are inching more towards normal Mm -hmm. like tummy tuck normal and then there's the big extremes which is like you're changing your entire face to look like somebody else. So right, yeah. I, I think her getting a nose job at that point may have seemed outrageous, mm-hmm. but it was her like feeling comfortable. 
Well, and I think it was her trying to kind of take control back over her life, too, because at that point, things were really out of control for her. Well, and she had no control over the marriages. Marriage is a big topic in both of these stories. And I think that it's so interesting looking at the differences between Darcy and Nikki because they start off the exact polar. They have the exact polar opposite trajectory, you know. Darcy is this guy who like comes off like very cold and very astute and like, but you don't realize that he's making things better as the story goes along and they go from hating each other to loving each other. And then you have Nikki, you know, who comes off at first as very charming and very nice. He's like the Mr. Wickham, I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you kind of realize like, wow, he's a piece of shit. Right. And they go from, you know, slowly falling in love to slowly falling out of it. And like, eventually if you are a Mr. Wickham or if you are a Nikki Arnstein, like it's going to show like you cannot keep up those types of ruses forever, you know, cause he's behind the scenes fucking everything up, mm-hmm. you know, like he's making Fanny's life worse. He's making people's lives worse. Whereas like, I love that we come to the realization that Mr. Darcy's been behind the scenes, making things better the whole time, but we don't know. And like, you know, I think maybe Fanny kind of thought like, no, he's away on business. He's doing good. He's making businesses. He's doing work and he really wasn't Mm. you know and i think there's such an interesting um i don't know there are two kind of stereotypes of male behavior here you know which i think are really interesting yeah i I think they're interesting in a way too that like both of them are trying this like she's just my wife yeah like idea Mm -hmm. yeah and i i don't think darcy thought that now he was young and idealistic and was we got to see him again for one year of his life so he may have been enamored with elizabeth and then been like but she can't hold on to the pressures of what it's like to be the wife of a fucking duke or whatever the hell he is where it's like with these guys they would like marry her because she was fun and amazing and an actress and then they're like oh but she's just like a normal person well i mean it's just like that fucking gilda comment you know like yeah. Rita hayworth had they go to bed with gilda and they wake up with me right it's like i'm a human i have problems i need to talk i'm like yeah normal i'm feeling vulnerable <laughs> makes right. me feel bad about myself when you cheat on me like <laughs> <laughs> exactly <normal> things <laughs> yeah and i also think there's a big power in saying no and when to say no mm. you know like elizabeth bennett did refuse that proposal yeah and i think it was a big she refused tw- twice, two marriage proposals. One from Collins, who, preacher boy, and yeah. one from Darcy. And I think that that is such a big power move because, again, women have always been taught to say yes. And it's like, no, but this is the best thing for you. And, like, that's what people told Fanny about her first marriage. So, like, no, but it could add security and it could do this and it could do that. And I think that some women learn it early on like elizabeth that's at the very beginning of her story Mm -hmm. she had to learn how to say yes which i think is a little more rare Mm -hmm. and fanny had to learn how to say no and i think that it's so empowering that at the end of their stories we see them make the opposite decision you know yeah and elizabeth finally says yes because she said no enough to have time to really know that she was making the right decision Because you can say no at first to say yes to something that you know is right later. Right. And uh, it's okay to change your mind. Yes. 
And Fanny had to learn how to say no, hmm. especially to Nikki, because he had some kind of fucking power over her. And yeah, we all I, have something or someone yeah, like that. We absolutely do. And I don't know. I just love the power of no, because mm-hmm. it's a complete sentence and it doesn't have to be no forever. Yeah. No for right now. No for right now. <laughs> Are you ready to toast to these I ladies? I am. Uh, who would you like to toast this evening? So I just, I want to toast to iconic forevers. Mm, Like, I think it's really, and I think this toast is mostly for Jane Austen. I think she was so forward thinking Mm -hmm. that, that she understood what she was going through was a joke and she wrote it as such. And we all took it as a drama. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it lasts because she made something funny out of something serious. So cheers Cheers. to the forever dramedy. Mm. I'm going to toast women who don't think that they are attractive. I think that Fanny seemed like such a confident woman and there were so many things that she was dealing with under the surface that I think a lot of us feel, you know, and I just want people to, regardless of how you're feeling about yourself that day or this moment or whenever, you know, keep putting yourself out there because Fanny feeling ugly didn't stop her from getting out on stage and it didn't stop her from believing in love and getting married and having babies and I just think that there's a lot of bravery in keeping going, even when you're feeling self-conscious, because I think all of us do it every day. And <laughs> there are other people who feel the same way as you. And yeah, and it's not true. You're beautiful. <laughs> and I love you. You're <laughs> so pretty. Mm. All right. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So something I've really liked recently is there's this book series called Shatter. Like the the series is called Shatter Me. There's mm. a lot of different books. I just I read a lot of like um like fantasy fiction, but this was more of like a sci-fi, futuristic, dystopian. And I will say the first two books are definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. There's six books and then like five little like novelettes in mm-hmm. between. Um, so it's 11 total, but I only read the six of them, like six total books. And it's just like this girl wakes up in an insane asylum. And like the whole first book is just her talking to herself and like Ooh. crossing out every other line. And it's just really nice because she's like, I think this, no, I don't. I think that. Huh. And it's just like her journal, but it kind of ends up to be this, like almost like this, x-man type feel where it's like she was locked up because she has these powers and she doesn't know how to use them but she ends up getting like engulfed in this world where people trying to teach her how to use her powers Hmm. but then there's the other side of this dystopian dictatorship that have their own powers it's very like magneto professor x but okay but they're not the center of the story she's the center of the story and she's a teenager and she's in love with these teenage boys. And she's kind of like a rogue. People can't okay. touch her. Ooh. So she's like in love but can't be touched. Interesting. So it's just a really cute series. And I, I'm i like on a goal to read 50 books this year. So I'm reading a lot. And I haven't been enamored by a lot of books. But okay. I really liked these. Excellent. So the entire Shatter Me series. And also they're really short. So you can Ooh, like nice. whip through them like it's, you know, 
two chapters of a Dan Brown novel. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> what are you into? I'm going to promote a movie that I watched recently and I thought was the funniest thing in the world. Okay, what um, was it? It's called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. I heard it was good. It was one of... All right, so... One of Probably my favorite <laughs> comedic is definitely me. Uh, one of my favorite comedic actresses. Speaking of those, is Kristen Wiig. I think yeah. she is so fucking funny, and she basically pairs up with her longtime writing partner, and they star in the movie together. And it's basically they play these like middle aged women from like Illinois or Indiana or something, <laughs> and they go to Florida for the first time, and it is unbelievable there's also like a weird subplot where like there's this woman who's trying to like destroy vista del mar florida because she hates it so like there's this whole other subplot that like is so crazy and the guy from 50 shades of gray is in it and he sings a song to some seagulls about how much he's in love with middle-aged chris and wig perfect <laughs> perfect everything is perfect about this movie i love it so much and if you're just looking for something to make no sense and to be crazy and to just laugh at. If you want to laugh, go watch this movie. It's so Good. crazy. It's so uh, fun. I loved it. I need to so, laugh. So, uh, Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. And it's uh, also, there are so many fun cameos in it. Oh, good. Yeah. So go watch it. It's great. <sighs> well, it's been so fun. Thank you for joining us on this long journey. <laughs> it's been fun. We've had so much to say and we're glad you were here. You can find us on all of our social media accounts. We have Facebook. We have LinkedIn. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. And um, we like to talk to you. Yeah. And mostly what would be the absolute best if you went on Apple Podcasts and gave us a little rate, a little review, because mm -hmm. that bumps our numbers and gets people interested in the show. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you like what we're doing, let us know. But mostly we want you to never forget that well-behaved women have matching flatware. Yeah. And they really make history. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.